0: five years that's of just, this show.
1: That's unbelievable to me. What I don't even Our remember what I
0: looked like five years ago. <laughs> what did I even look like? I don't even remember. I don't either.
1: But it is funny to think about, like, all the different locations that we've recorded in and, like, all the different topics. i like, I don't know. It's just been very, very fun these past few years to get into all of these women and shenanigans and I don't know.
0: I don't even... Understand how it's been going on this long, but I'm very happy that it has yes, and we have all of you to thank for that, yes, we do. our patreon members, our rating and reviewers, the people who follow us on our social medias, mm-hmm. or just listen intermittently for a good time, yeah we, we just love just you love so you
1: much, you're the best, um so we just wanted to open up the episode by thanking you. But unfortunately, that's not what we're here to talk about. Totally. No. You could talk about you all day. We really could. (laughs) We're here to talk about story. On the rocks! With Katie. And Allie. This is the final episode of season 15 of a podcast where we talk about famous women in history.
0: We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. And do we have a show for you!
1: (laughs) But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time, which I should have been drinking more. I feel like I need to take a shot before I get into this fucking story.
0: And we're not historians. No. We're not historians. We have uh, joint degrees in women's history and history and education and international studies. Yeah. So we blend them together and we really make one full person. Exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) One full person telling two separate stories Every week.
0: (laughs) But you are busy planning your own quinceanera. Yes. Oh, my gosh. For your niece. It's going to be at this beautiful hotel ballroom for your niece you've got to get everything set mm-hmm. so she can be in her beautiful gown did you see Raissa the skater <gasps> had her quinceanera I recently I did I did it I um gorgeous that's the number one thing I miss about being at Dundalk High School mm. was the girls bringing me their pictures oh, like, after so the quinceanera cute. I love it so much but I did get invited to a dude <laughs> uh, I did get invited to a bat mitzvah last year uh, so that happens exciting. younger so yeah. I'm hoping more of those <laughs> <laughs>
1: perfect. Uh, you're busy doing well, yeah, that. You're busy doing that, so you can't put down your party planning equipment and look up what these women look like. So we're going to describe them for you. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does
0: she look like? I am doing the first lady of the season, <laughs> Dolly Madison, perfect. my good friends. Dolly is a woman with, in her old age, had kind of round features, she was very curvy and wore these very low scoop neck dresses. <laughs> she wore lots of velvet and fancy American made fabric mm. and loved a turban. She yeah. loved to wrap her hair in a turban. She had brown hair and brown eyes. She wore her hair mostly up, but usually had ringlets around her face and down her back. Her portraits show her to have quite rosy cheeks, almost like she had rosacea. Hmm. Uh, It looks like in some of them Um, while most of her is painted. Dolly happens to live a very long life and we do have two photographs (gasps) of her from 1848. That's so cool. I didn't know that. She's obviously very old in the photos and she's pictured with other prominent politicians. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, we have photographs of her. So that is what Dolly Madison looks like. She was hot. (laughs) She was a hot, revolutionary wife. I love that. So I am doing Patty
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hearst.
1: Patty Hearst was a white, wealthy, young lady of average height. I would say that she has a sphinx-like face. Would you agree? Yeah, I do. She has, like, this round face, and she has a prominent, like, brow which kind of connects to her nose. Like it almost looks like one piece. Again, like a, a sphinx. Um, she has a like, very like pale, smooth skin. Like she looks very stoic. She's very lot. pale. Very pale. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like sometimes weird. She's weirdly pale. Yeah. Um, and
1: she typically had kind of like light, sandy colored hair, but for a period in the 70s she donned darker hair uh, and sometimes she could be seen wearing military fatigues and in one very famous photo she's wearing a beret holding a machine gun standing in front of the Symbionese Liberation Army's flag which was a seven-headed cobra so we all know what patty is is what patty (laughs) (laughs) looks like (laughs) i I feel like
0: most of us have seen that picture i feel like everybody's seen that photo it's so it's like freaking it's like famous yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay so tell me what i'm about to drink because it looks like a nice creamy drink but i kind of saw what you were putting in it yeah okay tell me (laughs) so this is called
1: Put down the gun, Patty. <laughs> <laughs> and it is vodka, orange juice, amaretto, and cream of coconut mm. all shaken together. Sounds Cheers. like a
0: dream. Oh, it's like a creamsicle. Mm.
1: That is nice. I love amaretto.
0: I know. An mm. almond creamsicle. That's mm-hmm. what we're drinking right now. Hands down, Miss Krista, this one's going to win this week. <laughs> God. We'll
1: see. We need to start, like, really, like, counting up
0: tallying yeah and
1: seeing who wins at the end of the season
0: i will say too on our recent our july dump of patreon episodes i got a lot of great parenting advice from parents and non-parents because one of our episodes was about uh one of our patreon episodes if you want to go there was about a parenting question i had and i got so i got paragraphs (sighs) of advice from people it was wonderful (laughs) (laughs) i was like this is like therapy sesh yeah um okay (laughs) What do I know about Patty Hearst? Yeah. What do you know about her? Okay. I know, I think her dad was a publisher, a very wealthy man of some sort, owned a business. I don't know. Entrepreneur. She definitely got kidnapped and definitely then was a criminal. Yeah. And that's the story of Patty Hearst in a nutshell. Okay. I think that's what like a lot of people know. And Mm -hmm. that's what
1: I knew going into this. Sure. And Let me tell you, I was like, this research is going to be so ABC this week. (laughs) This is going to be a cut and dry. And then it was not. Uh, This ended up being very long. I listened to uh, True Crime and Cocktails podcast. They did like a two hour episode on this. Obviously, I'm not gonna take two hours. Um, but it had a lot of great information. I listened to the House Stuff Works podcast. I obviously consulted Wikipedia, and then there's a whole documentary called Gorilla, The Taking of Patty Hearst. So that was a documentary on YouTube um, that was really good. So but that one was like way more about like the general vibe of the 70s, which is important to know, like The 70s is one decade I have no interest in going back to. No. I'm Mm -mm. just so... I mean, I love...
0: Things that came out of it. I love
1: things that came out of it. I love disco, but... (laughs) Women's rights. (laughs) Let me tell you, it was a crazy time. There were so many bombings, so many riots, like... Political upheaval. Political upheaval. So many drugs. uh, So many orgies. I just i colts, of cult, wazoo. Colts of wazoo. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know. So a lot was going on during this time period. So if, I'm sorry if I like leave out your favorite part of the Patty Hearst knees Liberation Army story. But this ended up being, like, nine pages with really paring it down and rushing through parts. Sure.
0: Some of so. these women are too much.
1: Well, and, like, it's really not even her. It's, like, the thing she's involved with is too much. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like Adrienne de Lafayette. Like, right. I could have really gotten into the French Revolution. And I was like, I have to skim the surface. Right,
0: There's too many tangents. Yes,
1: exactly. All so right. Let's do it. it.
0: Let's get into it. Patty, addy, addy, addy.
1: Woo! Patricia Campbell Hearst was born on February 20th, 1954, in San Francisco, California. She is the daughter of Randy Apples- Apperson Hearst and Catherine Wood Campbell. And if their last name sounds familiar, it's because her grandfather is William Randolph Hearst, and he was a newspaper media tycoon. He is one of the wealthiest men ever. He owned a billion newspapers. He owned, you know, a, a like a film studio. So think about him as like the OG Logan Roy or Rupert Murdoch. Mm-hmm. Like he is the one that like originally like controlled all the information. Um, and also, the main character in Citizen Kane is based off of him, like the old miser. Right. Uh huh. And he went so far as to like ban that movie from being played in a lot of theaters he wouldn't let his newspapers talk about it so that also sh- shows just how good the movie is because like it's still one of the most well-regarded movies of all time and he really tried to make that thing go away he tried to
0: wipe it off the map yeah sure. unbelievable
1: so anyways that's the family that she is coming from that's what i do with all unbelievable the money. money yeah <laughs> i like just... <laughs> not allowed <laughs> um and it's also important to note that like. Yes, her grandfather is William Randolph Hearst, but also like her dad was one of five boys oh. born to him. So there's a lot so there's of like, money to spread there's around. There's a lot of money to spread around, and like her dad did a lot of business stuff, made his own money. But obviously, we're mainly talking about family money. Sure. Uh, Patty was the third of five daughters. Also, funny that like
0: five boys, five girls, five girls. Boys, five girls. Love sure. That.
1: And she was raised primarily in Hillsboro, California. She was, by some accounts, her father's favorite and the one that he took out fishing and hiking and hunting. He treated her like his only son. But this also didn't stop her from being a bit of a wild thing. Maybe it was why he treated her that way. She apparently got kicked out of a few convents when she was a young girl. (laughs) And she really butted heads with her mother because her mother wanted her to be this like prim and proper girl going to Catholic school. And she just did not want to do that. Same. She finally attended Crystal Spring School for Girls. And at other points, uh, schools like Sacred Heart, Santa Catalina, and Monterey. She was all over the place. And it was at one of these schools that she met Stephen Weed. Love that name for him. Uh, He was a 23-year-old math teacher. And Patty asked him for extra tutoring at his house after just showing up there one day. That's a little forward, Patty. (laughs) A little forward. And they, of course, ended up starting up a sexual relationship. (laughs) Remember, she's in high school. So she's 17. He's 23. Don't love that. She attended Menlo College in Atherton, California, before transferring to the University of California, Berkeley, where she studied art history. And here, Patty lived a pretty normal life. She had an apartment that she shared with her now fiance, Stephen Weed, so they got engaged. Uh, But unfortunately, that's all we really know about her early life because, frankly, everything in Patty's life was going as planned. It was like she was doing the things she was supposed to, she was getting married, she was going to school. And nothing was really to note until the night of February 4th, 1974.
0: (laughs) Okay, Mm -hmm. but first, before Mm -hmm. she gets kidnapped, uh huh. What if you're this 23 year old math teacher? Are you like, I get in ahead of time and then I inherit family money or. If I do this and it backfires, I'm going to be taken for all I'm worth. Which one are you thinking about?
1: I mean, obviously, you're thinking about both clearly. Um, You got to walk a fine line there. Yeah, but also, I don't know if you say no to Patty (laughs) Hearst.
0: I guess not. I guess not. I don't know.
1: But that's the thing. Are you also thinking, like, if I reject her, is she going to try and ruin me? She could. Yes, exactly. Like, that's also another thing. Money is funny, people, especially in age-inappropriate relationships. And also, like, and I'm not trying to say that Patty was one taking advantage advantage of him. The age structure was wrong. Yeah, he obviously had more power than her overall. So, like, he should have been like, I'm not doing this. It was his responsibility to to not do this. Yes, exactly. So I'm not trying to be like, Patty's a predator. (laughs) (laughs) That's obviously not the case here. Um, okay, February fourth, yes. February fourth, nineteen seventy four. A night to remember. Nineteen year old Patty. That's something I did not realize. She so was young, nineteen. When no this idea. She was at her apartment having a quiet night in with Stephen Weed. Apparently, they had just finished having chicken noodle soup and tuna sandwiches. Me later. Dinner. Me later. <laughs> When the door to her apartment was busted down and a group of people with guns came in and kidnapped Patty.
0: Right in front of Mr. Weed? I mean,
1: actually, <laughs> they did. Te- they kind of like bust through the door after he politely answered it. Oh, so they like <laughs> pushed it open. Yeah, so there was like one of the girls was like, hey, my car broke down. Can I use your phone? And he was like, what? And then they just burst in, like all of them with their fucking machine. Guns. Crazy. They beat Steven up pretty bad. Oh, no. Uh, He ended up being in the hospital for like a week. Shoot. Um, And they tied Patty up and blindfolded her and stuffed her into the trunk of a car. Hmm. They took her somewhere unfamiliar. And according to Patty... They kept her in a closet for a week, still blindfolded and tied up.
0: That'll drive you crazy. I can't even No,
1: I can't a imagine. A full week? Yeah. I and, couldn't do that for one day. And they didn't want her to hear their voices or what they were talking about. So they had this radio blaring in the closet, too. So she was just, like, in this loud, tiny, dark, cramped space
0: so for it's, days. it's not even, like, sensory deprivation. That's, like, what they do for it's torture. It's, like sensory overload. Yeah. yeah. I, I saw that on an episode of... Um, Robots, money, lo- oh no, black, what's it called? Black Mirror. Oh. Yeah, there was like a sensory overload episode where, like, that's what, when they put them in jail, it was like constantly. And I was like, that is torture. It. No couldn't way. It. No way, no way, no way. So eventually,
1: they let her out. They start talking to her. Sure. And she soon discovers that she has been kidnapped by a far left military style domestic terrorist organization. So the SLA was headed by a man named Donald DeFreeze, but he referred to himself as General Field Marshal Sin Q. Everybody had nicknames. It was just like one of those types of groups. (laughs) I'm obsessed with that. He was a tall, imposing black man who had escaped from prison, and the other members of the SLA were a bunch of white Berkeley students. (laughs) important to note that like i don't understand didn't patty go to berkeley she did but like i don't think that these i don't think that they were really interacting they probably knew of her i mean this is a really big campus and it's during the 70s when like things are crazy there's so much political movement it's a huge university it's huge um but yeah they had met to freeze on a sort of like prison outreach program so this program was supposed to help prisoners prepare for life after release but for this particular group of students, it quickly turned into a radical political group, which then turned into how do we fight the system that has imprisoned all of these black men, like a lot of them frivolously. I have the <laughs> same question. Very good question. Right, exactly. This then turned into how do we bust Donald DeFries out of prison so we can start our own domestic terrorism group? Not ideal. I, it went zero to 60 very quick. I mean, they're Tokyo drifting all over the place. Yeah, I don't feel like you go directly
0: from um, people are wrongfully imprisoned to terrorism. No. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: on March 5th, 1973, DeFreeze escaped while on work duty. The students helped him get to Oakland, California, where he was hidden by a woman named Ms. Moon, spelled M-I-Z-M-O-O-N everybody to understand that what would be your <laughs> nickname? ooh, I don't know, I do like patties because I think it's very ridiculous oh don't tell I'm me yet then. Tell don't yet. tell me
0: yet then <laughs> <laughs> okay, um,
1: but yeah, I don't know because some of them were like names from like political radicals, and some of them like this is just a this is a, I this seems made up to me because again, this is a white dude, white woman from California, right who's calling herself Ms. Moon, Ms. I think I think her name was, like,
0: Natalie. Um, <laughs> Hi, my name's Jen Smith. <laughs> but I go by Ms. Moon. Jen Smith is a person I actually know. Oh, really? Yeah, her sister listens to this podcast. Oh, hello. <laughs>
1: um, so, anyways, together, DeFries and Ms. Moon started to outline what would become the SLA. So, the name Symbionese is taken from the word symbiosis, uh, which means a body of dissimilar bodies and organisms living in loving harmony and it's just like partnership between organisms to see what's best for the whole body right so a symbiotic relationship yes little fish on the big shark we know this um don't eat it because it helps you yes exactly So they intended the political symbiosis to encompass the unity of all left-wing struggles. They're like, we're not just one movement. We're going to encompass everything. We're going to be feminist. We're going to be anti-racist. We're going to be anti-capitalist and any other thing that... Falls under our umbrella.
0: This is like the definition of intersectionality. Yeah, exactly. Like, it I like really that. That does makes have sense. good
1: roots. They just went about it in such a terrible way. Well, that's
0: how organizations like this catch on. <sighs> it's true. Because they make sense at some point. I know.
1: I mean, they wanted all races, genders, and ages to fight together in a left-wing, united front and to live peacefully. And the symbol for this new radical group was a seven-headed cobra, or what some would call a hydra, mm. from Hercules fame. <laughs> from from so, the fame of Greece, <laughs> ancient mythical Greece fame. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so how Bless. is my soul? <laughs> so how do we achieve this mission of world peace? Well, the first step is always to buy a shit ton of guns. <laughs> no! That's incorrect. <laughs> incorrect SLA, and it only took until November for the group to take their first victim. His name was Dr. Marcus Foster, and he was a superintendent of the public school system in Oakland, California. I hate that. It's ridiculous. And the reason is beyond stupid. He and his deputy, Robert Blackburn, were shot while leaving a school board meeting. Foster was killed. Blackburn was injured. They were shot way too many times. That makes sense. And the SLA was targeting Foster because they thought that his plan to have student IDs introduced to the public high school was fascist
0: (laughs) that's an outrageous statement it's so stupid
1: especially because it was done for a really good reason like they were like it's a forced youth identification program and he's like i just want to keep adult drug dealers off of my campus because if you're a young looking 25 year old and you got a bunch of coke in your pocket you can just walk on a campus and i have no way of identifying who
0: you are (laughs) like Public schools had no safeguards no back safeguards. then for, like, violence or drug dealing. You said this is in Detroit? No, this is in California. Okay. So, I mean, it's keeping people safe. Yes. Children. This is
1: trying to keep children safe from adult predators that are coming into their school. Like, literal minors. <laughs> yes. But he's a fascist. So, they shot him with cyanide-laced bullets. Seems a little overkill and unnecessary.
0: Super overkill. I hate it.
1: And apparently, they believed that this act of violence... Would gain support for them in the black community and help them recruit new members So, like they're going to love this but the fact of the matter is it totally alienated any black person from wanting to join because foster was the first black superintendent in the area he was a black man and they're like we're anti-racist so we're gonna kill this one black man and who has any sort of power in the state. Well, like, I mean, no matter, mm-hmm.
0: what, no matter what you do at that point, it's going to look like a racial kill, especially yes. in the 70s. Exactly. And, like, what, he's trying to do something also to probably protect black students. Exactly. It's ridiculous.
1: I mean, he was doing great work, and people were devastated that he was killed by these wackos who, like, nobody even knew who they were because this is their first big act until they sent out this communique That was basically, it looked like a, it was styled after a warrant for someone's arrest. And it was a warrant for his execution. And it even said, like, method of killing cyanide-laced bullets.
0: This reminds me of uh, Dolores Umbridge in Mm. Harry Potter Mm -hmm. sending out, like, the undesirable number one is, like, Harry Potter. And it's his warrant. Exactly. They love a warrant, this group. (laughs) So...
1: I think Robert Blackburn, who was the deputy, and then he took over as acting superintendent after this happened, described them best. He said, these are not political radicals. They were uniquely mediocre and stunningly off base.
0: Good. Which Insult is them.
1: so true. It's, it's like so dumb. You think this is going to make the world a more peaceful place? Killing someone who's trying to protect our kids? Like, what the fuck? So anyways. This happens. Police are trying to find this group. They're like, who are these people? And then two months later, two of the SLA founding members, Russell Little and Joseph Ramiro, were driving along. They get pulled over for a simple speeding thing. They end up engaging in a shootout with the police. Because that um, will get you in trouble. Yeah, exactly. The police end up catching them detaining them and they find weapons extensive SLA material in their car and they eventually go back to the house that is being used as their headquarters and finding all of this material there as well both men were convicted of murder and sentenced to life imprisonment and to be clear like neither of them actually did the crime they were the getaway drivers so very man they did end up getting out of jail in a few years Uh, Not in a few years. They served, I think, like maybe like eight to ten years, Um, which also like they deserved. I mean, they were a part of this plan. They knew about it. It's not like they're like, are we going to get ice cream? And they're like, no, we're going to kill someone. They're like, what?
0: Oh, I didn't know. know. Excuse me. Can can you pull over so I can get out? (laughs) (laughs) So they
1: are like, our comrades are in jail. This isn't good. So DeFreeze comes up with a plan. He's like, why don't we kidnap Patty Hearst and then exchange her for Little and Ramiro? So she was on a larger list of people that they were just kind of interested in kidnapping. But the thing is, they had recently seen her address listed in the newspaper on her engagement announcement.
0: I just can't understand why you would put your personal address in the newspaper.
1: Sign of the Times, baby. And also, it's like, no one thought that Patty Hearst was a potential victim for kidnapping. I mean, she's not the Lindbergh baby. But, like, her father was a twin at the end of the Hearst line like no one was thinking about Randy Hearst and his daughter Patty like they were so far down she's not the sole heiress not even close to that so like they didn't think it was a big deal like she was living a pretty just like normal life that she just happened to have a shit ton of money
0: I mean it is a smart pull though
1: (laughs) yeah I mean
0: on this group like they will pay to get her back yes
1: they will and like they do have significant funds. Like, yeah, I mean, Randy doesn't control all the money because, again, he's one of five
0: siblings. Yeah, but it's not that her aunts and uncles wouldn't give a shit. Oh, exactly. And that's the yeah. thing. Like mm-hmm. they did. It is a good decision because she's the least protected. Exactly. And still backed by a fortune. Yeah. And again,
1: they had her fucking address. <laughs>
0: so and Sean Weed, you know, oh. he doesn't have a gun.
1: No. Weed isn't doing anything. (laughs) So that is kind of how and why Patty Hearst was kidnapped in 1974. So they kidnap her. Nobody knows who took her because no one really knows about this group very much (laughs) besides the Marcus Foster murder. Um, But then a few days later, they send out another warrant, a communique, similar to the one that they had sent out for Marcus Foster. Kind of being like, hey, we did it. Here's why. She is being charged for her family's crimes against humanity because they're capitalist pigs, and if we don't get what we want, then we're going to kill her with, again, cyanide-laced bullets.
0: I really don't understand the cyanide-laced bullets. It seems like a waste of resources. Sorry. seems like a waste of cyanide. And bullets. Yeah.
1: Pick one or the other, yeah? <sighs> Stupid. So they make their ransom, Patty for a Little and Romero, and the Justice Department is like, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> so then they're like, Okay, we need a plan B. They didn't really think about what would happen if they said no. So like, all right, we kind of have to like think of something else. <laughs> so, they send in message back. This message includes Patty telling her parents that she's okay, just do whatever they tell you to do, and it also demands that these messages get broadcast on every TV station in America, in every newspaper, They're like, this is part of the deal. You published this everywhere. And they're like, okay, like, I guess we can do that. So then they're like, great. Now that we have your attention, we want you to feed all of the poor people in California. (laughs) They're like, what the fuck do you mean?
0: (laughs) That's a lot of people.
1: They say three days a week. We want all the poor people to go to the grocery stores across California and pick up free food. But it has to be top quality food. No bullshit. And we want it to equal $70 of food per person. Which
0: is a lot in the 70s.
1: That would cost about $400 million back then. Which I can't even imagine what that is. Like a week? now. So, no, $400 million for just, yeah, like just this, um... Like one event, one event. I guess I don't know. Again, they made a, they didn't know what they wanted, so they were being very vague and annoying about this.
0: I hate I hate this. Yeah, I hate this. Like that you could all this energy you're putting into this you could use to actually help poor people. Mm. Like this is a stupid way to do this. Yeah,
1: and again, if these people knew anything about running a nonprofit or helping people at all, they would know that it's. Not exactly about just like, like being like, I want seventy dollars like like it's very complicated to distribute food to every person in need in California. And of course, they're like, we want it done like ASAP.
0: <laughs> I mean, distribution <laughs> is the number one problem with
1: charities. Mm-hmm. Uh and again, if they knew anything about finances, they would also know that like. Randy Hurst didn't have that kind of money just lying around. I mean, it's not liquid baby. He's got a lot of assets, but he doesn't have just like a bill like this guy. Spe- like he doesn't have a billion dollars sitting in the bank account.
0: Nobody like, with a billion dollars has a billion no, dollars. Exactly. It's all, it's in all invested
1: in assets.
0: And a lot of times invested in other people's businesses. Yeah. That are then employing mm-hmm. the middle class. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. And again, this is not. So, so The point
1: of this episode is not to defend rich people. And no. Be like, it's, we're not
0: pro-capitalism <laughs> no. only. But it is a stupid decision to go about it this way.
1: Exactly. But the hearse, they want their daughter back. So they're like, okay, let's figure something out. And they're like, well, we can't just, like, let poor people run loose in grocery stores and give them $70 a piece. Like, that's just, like, not.
0: Without a plan. Really.
1: How it works. <laughs> like it's insane, it's chaotic. But they said, you know what, we're going to develop a food distribution program. And within, I believe, four days of when this ransom was made, 4,000 volunteers gathered to distribute food to hungry Californians. It was a little rough at first. A lot of people came, and there were a few incidences of violence breaking out at the distribution centers because, again, they only had four days. <laughs> sure. and They didn't have enough so supplies, food, volunteers. volunteers. Yeah. And, like, obviously, like, the word just kind of went out. And, like, at this one distribution center, like, tens of thousands of people showed up. And then the van with all the food was running late. So they had been in line since dawn. And the vans were supposed to come at one. And they didn't come until, like, way later. So then by the time they came, people were hungry. They were fed up. They were irritated understandable sure and then shit just went crazy so anyways it was pretty chaotic but soon they actually got it together and organized the distribution of a hundred thousand bags of groceries across 16 locations in california between february twenty sixth and the end of march
0: and here's the big argument here Mm mm-hmm these wealthy people could have been doing this all along. They could along. have been. Sure. Absolutely. But the opposing argument is terrorism is not the way to do this. Exactly. <laughs> like, this is the thing. It's like, obviously, like
1: the SLA, they're disorganized. They're impulsive. They're violent. Not, We don't like that. But a lot of people point out that because this situation was so high profile, many people in America had their eyes open to how many people in California were food insecure.
0: The homeless crisis in California is still Oh, it's a huge problem because we think
1: about like, oh, if you're wealthy, you go to California. That's when you know like you're making the big bucks. And Mm -hmm. it's like, well, there are a lot of people who live in California that don't make the big bucks Mm -hmm. and they're in crisis. Yeah. (laughs) I mean we've they have been for a
0: long time. We saw that in LA. It was like it was more than you see more than you see in Baltimore. And there's a lot in Baltimore. Yeah. So this this was a good
1: thing for the people of America because obviously the Patty Hearst story. Number one, they demanded that it be covered like this. And number two, everybody was just really fucking interested. They're like, what is going on? But they were like, tens of thousands of people are hungry in California and, like, need this type of food. Like, what is going on? So that was good. So the Hearst do exactly what they asked. And, like, they do the impossible. Making a food distribution program in four days. That's insane. And the SLA comes back and they go, you know what? That wasn't enough. We want four million dollars more in food distribution in the next twenty-four hours. That's
0: not how ransoms work. You can't do that. No,
1: you can't. You they can't. Said, what you did was crumbs. You gave these people crumbs. And the Hearst family is like, we literally can't. Her dad came on the news and he goes, This is outside of my financial capability. Therefore, it is out of my hands. And I also think what he's saying is, I also can't trust you. Because also It's not like they have a point person of communication. They're just sending these messages out. There's no discussion. It's literally, I put a message out there. You put a message back. It's all a very public discourse. There's no hostage negotiator. negotiator. Sure. There's no negotiation. So then they get a message from Patty herself. And this is a little over a month into her kidnapping. She goes, I've been hearing about your food distribution program and it sounds like a real disaster. The food is really low quality. I mean, no one received any beef or lamb. The food given out doesn't sound like the food our family is used to eating. And she says, I know you said it's out of your hands, but it feels like what you're saying is I've washed my hands of this. And also you're lying. You do have the money for this. (laughs) It's like, she
0: obviously doesn't
1: know what she's talking about and again this i can you imagine like them throwing out racks of lamb to people <laughs>
0: and again it's like this is not how
1: organizations work like I don't understand what, it's really frustrating to me. Well,
0: I think part of the problem is, too, with, with like, the food distribution is you have to give out food that keeps. And raw meat doesn't keep. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not something you can just give out to everybody and expect that they have refrigeration to make sure that it's fine. Right.
1: And, like, and they had given out some meat. They were giving out chicken and pork and, like, all these other things. And, like, she wanted, again, she wanted,
0: like, more high, like, that's stupid. Some families don't even have electricity. How are right. like, Or their power gets cut. Or like I'm not saying that poor people don't deserve meat. I'm just saying no. like that's not a wise decision. You should no. give non-perishable items that can be used during long term. And
1: items that like everybody knows how to cook. If I were given lamb, I would not know what
0: to do with it. And we don't have <laughs> Google at this point. No. You can't Google a recipe.
1: <sighs> so many ways. This is the real turning point because this is obviously when Patty starts to turn against her family and turn towards her kidnappers.
0: Do you think that they like sensory deprivation slash overkill, like turned her crazy? I think that's definitely a part of it, especially at this point. And
1: I think that she is seeing her parents be like, we're not doing this anymore. And she feels very abandoned by them. Mm -hmm. And she's been taken in by this group again. This is when we hear a lot about Stockholm Syndrome for the first time. You know, the bank robbery wasn't that far ahead of this. Right. (laughs) That coined the term. Um, I mean, and if you want to know more about this, check out our summer mini-sode. Sure. Um, We learned all
0: about Stockholm Syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) But for
1: a lot of people, this is the... first time they've heard about this phenomena during this case because not a lot of people are super tuned into like the stockholm news coming out of sweden (laughs) right how could they be and stockholm syndrome of course is basically when people who are kidnapped or held hostage form an emotional bond with their captors which makes them makes makes them sympathize with them um and
0: like me and mm -hmm. the beast
1: and we also saw this kind of same thing happen in the stockholm bank robbery case where the government was not doing what the victims felt like was enough to get them out. So it felt to them like the government didn't care about getting them out safely. And that was really a turning point for them. And I think it was a turning point for Patty because she goes, I can't believe they're just not doing what everyone, what they want. Like, they must not give a shit. Like, what the
0: hell? Well, I think part of the problem is, like, Americans very long-term, the government, has said, we don't negotiate with terrorists. That's exactly. their, like, number one thing that they say. Mm-hmm. And then if you say you're not going to do it, you can't do it. Yeah. And it's important to know that, like,
1: this is the era of, like, Nixon and Reagan. <laughs> like, Nixon is president, Reagan is governor of California. We don't trust These are you. Two, like, non nonsense people when it comes to this like when nixon I mean well that's why there's so many
0: black men in jail that they're angry about exactly. this is
1: part of the problem in fact when when nixon heard about like what had happened like all the riots that were happening during the food distribution he was so mad he goes oh,
0: i hope you all get botulism <laughs>
1: <laughs> the poor people who were receiving the food okay i want to take the pro-
0: i he is like outrageous yeah
1: so Day 59, she sends another message to her parents, and she is basically like, you guys are corporate pigs. You need to tell America all of your evil corporate plans to kill all the black people and replace workers with robots. This is obviously a generalization of what she said because I could not listen to all the messages. But the most important part about this message is that she is telling them that she has been given the option of being released in a safe area or staying with the SLA and joining their forces to fight for her freedom and the freedom of all oppressed people, and she said, "I have chosen to stay and fight." So she's been turned. Mm-hmm. Also, her name is Tanya now.
0: Oh, Tanya. Tanya! I know a couple Tanyas. You know a couple yeah, Tanyas. I do. What's going on with Sean Weed? He gone forever. Steve Weed. Um, Steve he's there. Crap. We'll
1: hear about him in a minute. Oh. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, he's there doing news conferences, being like, "I love you, Patty. Please come home." She does not feel the same way, uh, but she chose the name Tanya because that was the name of a woman who had fought along Che Guevara, and of course they love Che Guevara, and this voice message was accompanied by a photo that went viral and has, I'm going to say, continued to go viral uh, and for the end of time. It is Patty Hearst in her military-style outfit with a beret holding a machine gun in front of the SLA flag. Eddie according to some sources, this was the only time throughout the whole saga that her father broke down and cried. Because And now, like, the only thing that he's holding on to is, like, maybe she does have Stockholm Syndrome. Maybe she is just brainwashed. Also, something that made people even more convinced that she was brainwashed and had Stockholm Syndrome was Tanya claimed to be in a relationship with SLA member Willie Wolf even saying that she didn't even care if she ever po- saw poor Stephen Weed again.
0: Oh, no,
1: Steve. Which, again, it's like I have said weird feelings, but I think because I'm like, he was dating a teenage student, but also like now he's being like publicly like broken <laughs> Shamed? up Shamed, yeah. Um, she said, I don't care if I ever see him again because he has shown himself to be a sexist, ageist pig. <laughs>
0: wow. In what way? I don't know. No specificity. Tanya, no specific give me experience. deets.
1: <laughs> he was heartbroken, but he made a very sweet press conference, and he said, I still love her. Aww. They never saw each other again. I want to make wow. that clear. <laughs> He did not so- try and contact her after she got out.
0: I want to follow like the story of Steve Weed. Steve uh, is Weed? he what married? Does he have kids?
1: <laughs> uh, the SLA's next action was the armed robbery of the Hibernia Bank branch in San Francisco. Uh, This happened on April 15th, 1974, and they did this because they ran out of money. (laughs) Because they don't know how to do ransom. (laughs) Yeah, ransom is money to you. Exactly. So this is Patty's first mission for the SLA, and her first time out of captivity in over two months. She is seen on camera holding a machine gun while her comrades jump the partition and start stealing money. Apparently, bank robbers remember her yelling the usual stuff: get on the ground against the wall, don't move, we'll shoot, etc. And then up. she's just yelling, "I am Tanya, I am Tanya." <laughs> That's how I picture. Or it. I Tanya, the great Margot Robbie movie. Of course, they got away with ten thousand dollars, and now there was a federal warrant out for Patty's arrest. <laughs> Good, she's been a thief. <laughs> and at this point, they're still trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. They go, we're just doing the warrant under material witness, so no robbing charges yet. But things are not looking good for Patty. And shortly after the robbery, she sent another voice message to her parents, slash the public, where she said, we were not robbing. We were just having corporate America fund the revolution. I don't like this, though. No. And she also wanted everyone to know that the idea that she was brainwashed was ridiculous to the point of being beyond belief. I feel like she has to go to therapy before we know that. So now the FBI is getting really irritated. They were kind of defending her. Now they look like idiots. And there are also these like eight people involved that are frankly like really not that smart. And they're like, how are they outsmarting us? (laughs) Because this is not a big group. This is, like, 8 to 10 people. Like, there are members that, like, come in and out, but, like, it's
0: not that many people. Oh, I didn't realize that.
1: It's very small. I thought this
0: was, like, a lot of people.
1: No. Okay. 8 to 10. Wow. So soon they get a lead on an apartment. By the the time they get there, the group has fled to L.A. to search for new members. The things in L.A. did not work out the way that DeFreeze had wanted them to. He did the classic thing of, like, "Uh, I've got friends in L.A. They'll want to become members. And these people were, like... You guys are crazy. No, thank you. Like, please leave my doorstep. <laughs> then things got a bit crazier. We are now over 100 days into Patty's kidnapping. And on May 16th, 1974, William and Emily Harris, two prominent SLA members, entered Mel's sporting goods store in the Los Angeles suburb of Inglewood, California, <laughs> to shop for supplies. While Emily made the purchases, Bill decided to shoplift a pair of socks. Some say it was a bandolier, some say socks, who knows? A
0: bandolier? Yes. I see.
1: Uh to hold the ammunition.
0: Sure, why not?
1: <laughs> when a security card, uh when a security guard confronted him, Bill Harris brandished a revolver. The guard knocked the gun out of his hand and handcuffed William's left wrist. This obviously caused a lot of commotion.
0: So, a move I'd like to pull mm-hmm. one day in my life.
1: <laughs> so Patty, just sitting in the getaway car, reading a newspaper, sees what's happening. So she gets out of the car, takes her gun, and just starts shooting at the store. No, she
0: doesn't. Into an open
1: crowd. Into the store. Into the store. That gun runs out of ammunition. She gets another one. Fires all the bullets in that
0: gun. The irresponsibility (laughs) is
1: outrageous. So... This obviously distracts everyone. The security guard like runs off <laughs> and they all get into the car and drive it away, but then abandon it to steal another car because obviously that car's hot. Unfortunately, the police find the car uh, that they had abandoned and thankfully it had a parking ticket in it that had the address of the place where they were all staying. <laughs> oh so patty hearse has to stop leaving her address uh around she does come on tanya (laughs) they get the group or they get the address but the group had gotten tipped off because they're like shit guys we left the parking ticket in the car it has the address on it so they kind of were very aware of what was going on so the group makes a run for it they take over a house that is occupied by christine johnson and minnie lewison um and at the time i don't know if these two women were necessarily in there but there was an old man a young boy and a 17 year old girl named brenda who had fallen asleep on the couch (laughs) she would later tell police i went down to minnie's every thursday evening to play some cards and drink a little i fell asleep early and when i woke up around 2 a.m i saw four white women and three dudes two black one white i saw guns spread out all over the floor And I asked them why they had guns more than I'd ever seen in my life. (laughs) They didn't answer. And instead, the black dude asked me my name and then introduced me to everyone. When asked if Patty Hearst was there, she goes, man, how can I tell? All white women look the same to me. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) Because, again, they're also using code names. So she's like, I don't know who's Patty. Like, what? She's the absurdly pale one. Yes, the absurdly pale one. So the ladies in the house were like, this isn't right. Or like. It was kind of I heard one story that like one of the women in the house like their mother found out and called the police and then I heard another version where like a neighbor was like I saw a bunch of white people going to with guns into that house I'm going to call the police <laughs> either way somebody calls the police and they're like are you looking for a bunch of white kids with machine guns and the police are like yes we are
0: I that's like I think what they're constantly yes. looking for <laughs> sure
1: <laughs> that afternoon more than 400 LAPD officers um fbi agents la county sheriff department (laughs) members whatever california highway patrol and los angeles fire department surrounded the neighborhood 400 people (laughs) to get these 10 teenagers with machine guns (laughs) the footage of this is insane i love that And that's saying there are even fewer because the whole group's not even there (laughs) there's only like six, six of them there this time So tear gas is sent in to the house. Sure. And then the group. Oh, wait. And so then so tear gas is sent in an old man and a young boy are sent out because they're like, we're not a part of this. We were just in the house. They go, were there a bunch of people with guns in there? The old man says, no. The young boy says, yes. (laughs) So they're like, "Okay, like that's. Hold on. I'm going to redo that. So first, an old man and a young boy come out of the house. Sure. The police, they are obviously not involved. They ask the old man, they go, was anybody in there? And he says no. They ask the young boy, was anybody in there? And he goes, yes, a bunch of white people with guns. <laughs> Which, like, they already kind of knew, but now it's like confirmation. Like, these people were just in the house. They just came out, and now this kid is telling us. So... They do, I don't know if this was the second smoke bomb or another smoke bomb, but they sent, or tear gas, whatever, they throw another one. One of the members pops out with a machine gun, like puts it out the window, and says, smoke on this, and they start firing at the police. Then there was a lot of gunfire exchange. Over 80 tear gas canisters were thrown into the house, and this also caused a fire because there was a bunch of gasoline on the floor for some reason. And people did start emerging out of the house.
0: Of course, they're running out because of fire and tear yeah. gas.
1: The first were, um, the first person, uh, so obviously the man and the child came out, and then there was the young woman who was asleep on the couch. She came out, um, you know, obviously because there were some people that were innocent victims, like maybe they should have been a little more carefully handled, but thankfully they survived. And then Nancy Ling Perry and Camilla Hall, two members of the SLA, came out of the house, shot at the police, and they were killed. The rest of the members died inside from smoke inhalation, (gasps) burns, and gunshot wounds. But
0: Patty's not even in there.
1: So, but people don't realize that yet. I mean, obviously, they probably kind of had an inkling that she wasn't there because of the timeline from the robbery and stuff, but they couldn't know for sure. This was one of the largest police shootouts in U.S. history, with a reported total of over 9,000 rounds being fired. 4,000 by the SLA, 5,000 by police. Thankfully, though, there were no casualties among law enforcement, firefighters, or civilians outside of that. Like, no one but members of the SLA were hurt during Well, this.
0: that's great. Great.
1: And, of course, the whole world is watching this. And a lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, we just saw Patty Hearst get burned alive in a police raid. Like, what the fuck is going on? But because of the Mel Sporting Goods incident, Patty and the other two members thankfully weren't there. They were holed up in a hotel in Anaheim after they spent the day in Disneyland.
0: I was about to say, that's what Disneyland <laughs> yeah. is! They went to Disneyland. Patty was at the happiest place on earth. Mm-hmm.
1: They were like, they this group was a big believer in like hiding in plain sight. They're like, let's go where the most people are. So that no one would think we would ever be there. Yeah. So they go to Disneyland. It's very smart. Uh, And then they just watch the siege and destruction from their living room live in their hotel room. (laughs) But again, Patty's parents didn't know 100% whether she lived or died until the autopsies were done by Thomas Noguchi. Who was very famous for the JFK and Natalie Wood autopsies. (laughs) What? Listen.
0: You're going to have a person do an autopsy. May as
1: well be be Thomas Gucci. Um, But they, and he decided conclusively her body was not there. Now about this event. It was heated. Proper negotiation steps were not taken. There was not a lot of care taken for people that were in the house that may not have been involved, like innocent victims. Um, There was excessive use of tear gas and ammunition. You know, we know that, like, This could have been handled better, but I'm also not about to call these people martyrs because they obviously didn't care about using violence on innocent people. They were told like, we have the house surrounded come out and they chose not to.
0: Yeah. I mean, and they had also killed innocent people leading up to this, like people who didn't do anything wrong. Yeah.
1: And it's like, were they given enough? There's a million questions. Were they given enough time to come out? Like they were given five. Should they have been given 20? Like all these things. And it's like, We could go back and forth, and, like, obviously, like, the police could have handled it better, but also, like, these people are not innocent. They just weren't. They were criminals, yeah. This event was followed by Patty sending another recorded message to the public condemning the raid, calling the cops fascist pigs, and calling her comrades beautiful sisters and brothers. She said she renounced capitalism forever and would never go back to living the way pigs like the Hearst family live. She also called Willie Wolf, codenamed Cujo, the most gentle and loving man she had ever known, and they had never loved another human being the way they loved each other. So by now, she is in even more trouble, and now she's on the run with the Harrises. They are the last three members of the SLA alive. And they meet up with a guy named Jack Scott. And he wants to write a book on them. And he also wants to help them out. He's like, I'm also a rebel. So he, they go, okay, that's fine. If you just help us, we'll tell you the whole story. So he takes them all the way to New York to hide out at his parents' house. They're
0: staying what there. What are his parents doing? That they're Ooh, just knows. letting Patty Hearst stay Ooh, at their knows. house. I would be like, get out. I know. <laughs> stay. There's a thousand <laughs> places in New York. Madonna's down the street in an yep. abandoned synagogue. Go Come stay on. there. So they're staying there, and then
1: this didn't last long because they got mad at Jack for something again, like you're just want to make money off of this book, and he's like, "Well, yeah, obviously it's a book it's a book, and I would love to make some money off of it um so they Amy march him, they burn his manuscript, oh, they burn all the tape recordings he had made of their interviews, so he has nothing. So he goes, okay, you can get the fuck out of my parents then and make your way back to fucking California. Sure. So he does take Patty back himself, and he drops her off in Las Vegas. And then she's just alone in Las Vegas for a couple of days while she waits for someone else to pick her up.
0: Why are you going to be in the desert <laughs> if you have to be somewhere? <laughs>
1: <laughs> then they went back to California and found refuge with some sympathetic Berkeley students. I do want to be clear, like, there are a lot of people who are, like, on the SLA side. A lot of college students in particular that are, like, you know, this group is on the right track. Sympathetic to the cause. Sympathetic to the cause, yeah. So, they go back to Berkeley. They start recruiting new members. Um, Two prominent ones were Kathy Salaya and Michael Borton. So, this new group, the five of them, now even more underground than before. They are like, I think we're ready to graduate to pipe bombs. No. (laughs) This group ended up making and placing multiple bombs in the L.A. area. I think the number was four, but it might have been higher. Two were under cop cars. One was in a building. One was outside of an IHOP. Absolutely insane. Thankfully, only one of them ended up going off. And no one was hurt in any of these. Well, that's great. I mean, they can be so dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And these are pipe bombs too. So they are like 12 inches long, like three inches wide, and filled with like nails and shrapnel. Like Mm -hmm. these things are meant to cause the most amount of harm and damage. It's fucked up. So the bombs are not working. So then they're like, we need to do another bank robbery. So they go to the Crocker National Bank in Carmichael, California. Patty's the getaway driver for this one. So she wasn't actually in the bank. But during the robbery, a woman named Myrna Opsal. She's a mother of four. She's at the bank making a deposit. She is shot in the stomach by one of the masked people. Some people say it was specifically Emily Harris, one of the members. She, The bank people, the employees, are trying to, like, rush over and, like, they're grabbing anything they can to, like, put on the wound, but she ends up dying. She's going to bleed out. And you get shot in the stomach? Come on. And at this point, everyone is fed up. Because now, it's like, you don't even have any positive political agenda anymore. Like, you're just causing harm and mayhem. Like, this is not okay. So... I forgot exactly how this happened, frankly. I I listened to a lot of stuff. But on September 18th, 1975, they found out where the group was staying. And Patty Hearst and another woman were in an apartment in San Francisco. The police burst in. Patty runs to the back to where the ammunition is kept. And they go, if you go back there, we will shoot this lady. So she stops and she surrenders herself. Mm. Like, she was going to fight. And not, it was only until they were like, we will shoot her if you don't We're going to shoot stop. your friend. Yeah. This marked the end of her kidnapping. The official number of days in captivity, would you like to guess? 322.
0: 592. Wow. Year and a half. Almost two years. Yeah.
1: Isn't that crazy? She was not looking good. she looked sick she weighed 87 pounds <gasps> that's terribly sick that's like weak and dying yeah she was chain smoking she had lapses in her memory she they said that like they'd given her an iq test and she used to score like a 130 and now she was scoring like 112 like there was definitely like Obviously, some intense psychological stuff going on to her. And physical stuff. And physical stuff. Now, we're going to get into, like, whether or not she was brainwashed and whether or not she had full control of her capabilities. But, like, this was how they found her. While being booked into jail, she listed her occupation as urban gorilla. (laughs) And she asked her attorney to relay the following message. She said, tell everybody that I'm smiling, that I feel free and strong, and I send my greetings and love to all the sisters and brothers out there. And then she gave the power fist. Sure. As one does. But this is not looking good for the case that she is shortly going to make, that she was brainwashed the entire time and forced to do everything that she had done and say everything that she'd said. Her parents quickly got her a solid legal team, headed up by none other than F. Lee Bailey, <laughs> who would... Become famous in the O.J. Simpson trial.
0: <laughs> There's gotta be, the, I mean, the all gotta be that guy. and lawyers in this case are just
1: of fame. And her trial commenced on January 15th, 1976, for the Hibernia bank robbery. So that's what she's being charged with because they have substantial evidence. They have her on camera with a machine gun right. at it, this robbery in a concrete place. And, of course, they leaned in heavily to the idea that Pat, that nothing Patty did was of her own free will. They say she was brainwashed. She was in constant fear for her life. Um, you know, she was being assaulted. They said she wasn't in a relationship with Willie Wolfe. She had been being raped the entire time. Mm. And when they put Patty up on the stand, she, you know, continues with this message, like, I was assaulted. I never consented to any of that sex. I never consented to anything that I said or did. I was a victim and she also i think it's important to note pled the fifth uh i think 43 times during her trial which you're allowed to do which you're allowed to do it but that's imagine. a lot
0: you can't incriminate yourself or don't have to you don't have
1: to but it doesn't look good sure and the judge like a lot of people wasn't really buying it there were a lot of inconsistencies and a lot of evidence that said the opposite You know, including, of course, her many voice recordings where she was clearly stating that she wanted to be there and the multiple opportunities that she had to escape that she simply didn't take. And, of course, like when she talks about she's like, you know, I was in a daze. I was just doing what I was told. Like, she was like, I was trained for those moments to just, like, be obedient. Do what I was told, which there is something to be said for, but also... It's hard to be like, you were dropped off in Las Vegas and like only Jack for a little while knew. Like you had, it's, it's just hard. You know, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances. It's also
0: hard to like, do we know if she was like beaten or like right. abused? Like, because if you were, that puts an extra little bit of fear in you. But if mm-hmm. there aren't evidence of like broken bones mm-hmm. and abuse, you have a little bit more willingness to leave as soon as you're in the freedom zone. Right.
1: It's just, it's difficult. And, you know, some psychological experts in the trial said it's clear that she was indeed brainwashed. And others said absolutely not, with one saying it's clear from her behavior before she got into this situation that she was a rebel in search of a cause. Hmm. So, I don't know. I, I think also that, like, it's important to consider that she was 19 when she was taken. Sure. She was very young. She was
0: very sheltered. So... She was already in a a relationship with an older man that Mm -hmm. was kind of controlling her for several years. Mm -hmm. I think she
1: likes having an authority figure in her life, especially her love life. Um, So I I think it's a little bit of both. I really do. Because obviously, like, she was in, she, it's not her fault that she was kidnapped. Sure. So there is an argument to be said for, like, if she had not gotten kidnapped, would she have become a domestic terrorist? No. Right. (laughs) No, she wouldn't have. You know, maybe she would have used her wealth and privilege to fight for some causes later on. But, like, I don't think she would have been shooting up a fucking bank Bank. with a machine gun. Well,
0: no, this is like the Manson girls, right? They were young. They were vulnerable. They did, yes, get taken advantage of. But then they also did, yes, commit these heinous crimes. Exactly. And you can't get away with that. No. Because, again, it's like there
1: is some freedom here to leave at certain points in the story like for the Manson girls for Patty there were opportunities yeah that she was like I mean I think about in Mel's sporting goods store she could have been like oh look they're putting handcuffs on him I have the keys I'm in the car I could drive away yeah and go back to my family
0: yeah and it's not that it's not hard to leave cults or abusive relationships it is difficult but I think that She seems to have had the know how Mm -hmm. to get out of it. But it's hard, you
1: know, because again, we don't know. We just don't know. That's why I don't want to, like, a lot of people are very firmly on the side of, like, she's a big phony. She's lying. And I'm like, well, again, she was a 19 year old who weighed 87 pounds when they found her. (laughs) Right. She was clearly not doing okay. Like, let's make that clear. Sure. (laughs) So I don't know. But I think that these are very interesting questions. Right. On March 20th, 1976, Patty Hearst was convicted of bank robbery and using a firearm during the commission of a felony. She was given the maximum sentence possible of 35 years imprisonment. She ended up getting seven, but only served 22 months because President Jimmy Carter commuted her sentence. And the reason he ended up doing this is absolutely wild. So just a few months. Before her release, 900 individuals were killed in the Jonestown Massacre in Guyana. Good thing I brought up (laughs) calls. The Jim Jones debacle came as such a shock to the world. The idea that, I mean, over 900 people could be brainwashed into drinking poison. And they
0: were. Made
1: people think maybe Patty Hearst is kind of... More innocent than we thought. Like, sure. maybe she was actually brainwashed because, like, obviously, this does happen. People get into situations, they get carried away, and like, groupthink is real. Like, this is wild. Yes. So, she was let out in part because of Jonestown.
0: Isn't that
1: crazy?
0: That is crazy, but it is, I mean, it's proof. Yes. It is proof that people get into situations they can't get out of. Yes, And like some of the people, I think you've told me about that situation, like were doing it and they didn't want to be there anymore. Like they wanted to go home. Like I, I, there's like a lot, you're more into the cult stuff than I am, but I think there were yeah. people who were like, I don't want to be here. Yeah. Well, and there are people that tried to escape.
1: Some people clearly had syringe marks in them where they were injected with the To poison. be made
0: docile. Like, yeah. No, no killed. N- to, to be just, killed. They were yeah. just... Ingested like with the flavoring. Like <laughs> I'm not going to drink it. So yeah, it put it, they put it in their body, right? Yeah. So yeah.
1: that's why I call it a mess. Ma- like I, I hate calling it a mass suicide. Only because yeah. it was a massacre. Yes, a lot of people drank it, but a lot of people didn't want to. Sure, and a lot of people were forced by they were forced to drink it and forced by having it injected into their bodies. Mm-hmm. So just want to make that clear. But okay. But again, a lot of eyes being opened to like, oh my gosh, maybe people can be influenced to do insane things. And then like she got out, the rest of the SLA crimes just kind of got swept under the rug and forgotten about. And the really unfortunate part about this is no one ever faced judgment for killing Mirna Opsal, mm. the mother of four who was just at the bank that day, no one was ever convicted for murdering her. That is until the year 2000. So one of the members who had been a part of the bombing attempts and the robbery, Kathy Celaya, had been tracked down and arrested in 1999 after being featured on America's Most Wanted. And on February fourteenth, two 2003, she and three other members of the SLA finally pled guilty to her murder. So the Harrises who they had actually already served eight years for the kidnapping of Patty, they got eight more years for this. Kathy Celaya and another accomplice, Michael Borton, received six years for their part. And even though Patty was there and under California law could have been charged with the murder, she was never brought back in. And eventually she recovered full civil rights when President Bill Clinton granted her a pardon on January twentieth, two 2001, his last day in office. And I do want to point out, there is, again, a lot to be said for the privilege of a young heiress. Oh, yeah. Like, that cannot be, She's like, She's being
0: she... pardoned because of who she is. Exactly. Because of her family. Family yeah. wealth. Yeah. That's crazy. And it
1: kind of bothers me, because I'm like, again, there's a lot to be said for her being in a situation that she did not tr- choose. I do agree with that. And I'm glad she did serve some time. Like I, th- like, I think, actually, like, I'm glad she served some time, but I don't think she quite deserved 35 years. But I'm glad she did serve some time. But I also don't really think it's fair that she got a full pardon.
0: <laughs> right. And I mean, think about the people that were in that police raid. Like, yeah, they didn't necessarily deserve a death for yeah. their crimes. Like, yeah, did exactly. they deserve to be imprisoned? Yes. yes. But like, was death the answer to that? No. no. After Patty was released, her father obviously
1: wanted to invent. Uh, invest in a pretty intense security team for her. <laughs> and lo and behold, she fell in love with one of her security guards, and he ended up leaving his wife and kids for Patty Hurst. Patty!
0: Make a clean break huh. from something!
1: They were married in 1979, and they had two children together, Jillian and Lydia. And to their credit, they were together until his death in 2013. Damn. All right. I know. Whatever. After her brief stint as a terrorist, mm-hmm. life for Patty went back to normal. She published the memoir, Every Secret Thing, co-written with Alvin Moscow in 1981, and in the 90s, she became an actress. She was on TV shows, <laughs> such as The Adventures of Pete and Pete, Boston Common, Veronica Mars. She was also a voice on Frasier. She was one of the callers. But her biggest roles were in, oddly enough, for the two of us here, John Waters films. <laughs> of course he would. Of course he would. In 1990, she was in Cry Baby, 94, Serial Mom, 98, Pecker, 2000, Cecil B. Demented, and 2004, she was in A Dirty Shame, which is even more particular to us since it was filmed in my home neighborhood of Hamilton. Yes, it was. Oh, what an exciting day that was. And I had no idea. <laughs> Patty was right around the corner. Pat! She also appeared on a ton of talk shows at the time, of course, always defending um her claims of brainwashing. Now, Patty is mainly involved in the dog show circuit and just simply enjoying her very normal life. But don't call her Tanya and don't call her Patty. She is Patricia and she is not a terrorist. Thank you very much. <laughs>
0: wow that took so many turns and it took so long to tell what a saga what a saga (laughs) wow well we need to uh dive into the much more fun life (laughs) but equally as kind of controversial as dolly madison all right Hello, hello? You hear everything? Yep, I can hear it. Our fingers are a little crispy. <laughs> but we're back? We're back? We're setting fires to cocktails? You know what we should have had? What? Is the
1: flame thing, the torch. Yes, that's that what we should have used. Yes, guys,
0: if you have <laughs> a torcher. <torture.
1: laughs> well, we have one. I just, you should have told me to bring it. Yeah, I
0: didn't know. <sighs> I mean, I knew I was setting a fire, but... We yeah. just
1: Yeah. This it was um Yeah, I got it 80, still good though.
0: Yeah, I got eighty proof alcohol and I should have gotten like the Bacardi one fifty one, which is like easier to set a light. Oh. But okay. I also am not gonna drink Bacardi one fifty one. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. It's stuff. just like higher proof. Oh, okay. So it's like more flammable. Oh, okay. But yeah, it. I just didn't feel like doing that. So it took it was just harder. It okay. You want to know what you're drinking? <laughs> I do. I've spent so much time with it already. Right. This is called parties and politics, Ooh. and it is white rum, uh, two ounces of white rum. Mixed with not grenadine, but strawberry syrup and um, lime juice. Mm -hmm. And then you put thyme on top and then you dump some excess alcohol on the top of the glass to light it on fire. And again, Bacardi 151 will work way better. (laughs) Perfect. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Very sweet very sweet. I love rum. Um
1: my, I think mine has a little but I also I tried to like get some of the excess off, but it's still good. Mm-hmm. I can also I can actually taste the strawberry, but it's not too much.
0: It's not overpowering. I yeah. was interested in buying like they sell it right next to the grenadine and I yeah. was like this might be fun.
1: Yeah, I think it was fun and it gave it like a really beautiful baby pink color, yeah, it's very which I nice. love.
0: Mm, so, yeah, I like it. Right off the bat, I just need to well actually tell me what you know about Dolly Madison first. Okay. So I know that she is very
1: famous for rescuing a picture of George Washington when the White House burned down. Sure. But I also know that when it's when the story is told now, it's made clear that she told an enslaved person. Correct. Or maybe like a servant. <laughs> yeah, I think it was an enslaved person though. Yeah. To grab the portrait. So it's yeah. like she directed it, but she did not actually do it, which makes the story A little different. (laughs) Or a lot different. It Um, does. But yeah. Because it also like, yeah. So that's what I know because I know that like that's been a a big topic of conversation, especially over the past couple of years when we're really trying to include more of the history of the enslaved people who like helped build this country and like worked in the fucking White House. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But yeah, but it was during the big White House fire. I don't know why that White House was caught on fire. I think it was like the French and... Indian War. You'll maybe. see. Okay. You'll awesome. see. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't know if any part of it was reclaimed. So I guess we'll get into it. But yeah, I'm excited.
0: Yeah. So before we get any deeper into this, I just need to say, like, this cocktail is called Parties and Politics mm-hmm. because Martha Washington was parties. She was a great hostess. Mm-hmm. Abigail Adams was politics. She was great (laughs) with politics. And TJ was running a frat house. So he did not have a wife the entire time. I mean, he had a partner, but she was living at Monticello. Mm -hmm. Sally. She was not in the White House. So he did not have a first lady. So Dolly was the first first lady to embody the role from every angle. I love that. As the fourth the wife of the fourth president. Okay. But then it's also parties and politics because she is a great and amazing woman, mm-hmm. but she loved having enslaved people. Oh. She loved having people work for her to make her look great, and I think she thought she deserved it. And it sucks cuz it's like work without pay, too. Like right. <laughs> Yeah, it's um so I just think
1: I feel like wow, what a great bargain that <laughs> Like doing this work, and I don't have to pay them a dime, right? And I'm gonna, what a great thing for the economy (laughs) of America, right?
0: And I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it up throughout the episode, but I just wanted to say it up top because it is so important, yeah. Like, I respect her as a woman, I respect Mm -hmm. her as a politician and as a first lady, but I don't respect her values, yeah. So was the third president John Adams? No. Oh, second? J. Okay.
1: So it went Washington, John Adams, T.J., Madison. Madison, Monroe, okay. Adams. Okay. So
0: of the first ten presidents, the only two to not have slaves were the two Adamses. Huh. Father and son. They were from Massachusetts, while all the others were like Virginians, mostly. So they were very anti-slavery. They were lawyers. Uh-huh. And all the rest of them were plantation owners. Very interesting. So it's, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's very trying. It's very trying yeah. on my soul. I hate yeah, but it. But it's hate like
1: it. it's the truth, you know. Mm-hmm. And we have ignored the truth for so long. Yeah, that, for way like, too long. I'm excited to hear the story with that history included in
0: it. Right. So let's talk about Dolly. Okay. Dolly was born Dolly Payne, and she is a curated little baby. She like loves to curate herself. So in some places, her name is listed as Dorothea, but that's very rare. And then you would think her name is spelled D-O-L-L-Y because that's how you spell Dolly. Mm -hmm. And she even signed her name like that sometimes. But in every First Lady article, every First Lady everything, it's D-O-L-L-E-Y. Because she loves a (laughs) pop. She loves pizzazz and she wants to just be a little bit different. So D-O-L-L-E-Y, although every document she signed by hand is D-O-L-L-Y whatever dolly so she was born on may 20th 1768 in a log cabin in north carolina now she would never tell you she was born in north carolina she says she's from virginia because everybody who's worth anything in this country was from the great colony of virginia pocahontas john smith
1: (laughs) washington
0: jefferson sure.
1: <laughs> madison all the big hits all
0: the, all you know the number ones of the country the singles they really have it so her mom was mary coles and her dad was john payne jr her parents marriage um was kind of a merging of two prominent families but actually very little is known about dolly's life but before twenty five, and when I say little, I mean a little bit for a first lady. Okay, like there is a lot known about her, but in terms of first ladyhood, there wasn't a lot known. And also, to be clear, the term first lady was not used yet. Hmm. Not until um, I want to say the eighth president or so. Like really? the term first lady wasn't a thing. Oh, I would have to was check that exactly. President? No, it was just missing. <laughs> you know, Ma- they did in the newspaper she was referred to as Madam Dolly Madison a couple times mm, okay. that I saw when I was researching. Um. And Madam Washington, I've seen before. Mm-hmm. I don't know about Adams. Uh, he didn't have as much respect. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, okay. Her family, the reason a lot of the documents are lost on her is, like, her family, she was born in 1768. That's before the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Oh, yeah. So her family went through the Revolution. Her family went through the War of 1812. Mm-hmm. Her family... She almost lives to the Civil War. Like, her family's been through the ringer. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like you're just keeping random documents in your right. house. Like, you were you were born and you were a citizen of England, and now you're not. Yeah. So... What we do know is her mother was a Quaker. We like Quakers. Mm -hmm. After her mom and dad got married, they had to apply for, like, Quakerhood, though, because her dad wasn't a Quaker. So this interreligious marriage was very controversial, and it took a long time for her dad to be accepted. Dolly was the third child and first daughter to the family. She has a very large immediate family, three sisters, Lucy, Anna, and Mary, and four brothers, two older, two younger, Walter, William, Isaac, and John. They owned an enslaved nursemaid, which is very weird for a Quaker people. So right. early on, like, because her dad converted to Quakerism, like, very early on, they had a an enslaved woman who was caring for the children. She and her Quaker family eventually settle on a 176-acre farm where... Dolly worked. She worked alongside her family and studied the Quaker faith, which she often chafed under. <laughs> she did not like it. Um, She was only into being a Quaker when it benefited her publicly. Mm-hmm. So she liked. And I would say that she loved the Quaker values. And I do think she did. But she didn't walk the Quaker walk.
1: I was going to say, because every Quaker we've ever covered has been <gasps> staunchly against slavery. against slavery. And that's
0: why they're so fucking cool. Right. Right. Um, she likes the idea of simple values and whatnot, and likes to portray that. But really, she's a fucking party girl. She would be such a good influencer. <laughs> well, she's kind of considered like the first influencer <gasps> in American history. That's so funny. Get ready for it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> she is an influencer. Okay, so um, because her family, her immediate family, when she was a child, or child. Teenager were Quakers. They didn't participate in the American Revolution. So it doesn't even bother her. I mean, her future husband is out there like writing the Bill of Rights (laughs) and like (laughs) teaming up with TJ. And she's just like, I don't know, it doesn't affect my family. We're (laughs) we're peaceful folk. (laughs) We don't do that. Um and her dad actually did in 1782. Manumission became legal in Virginia and he emancipated all his slaves. So, manumission um, was the bill in each state that allowed you to free your slaves. Because a lot of people, even against slavery, weren't allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. So, he did on the earliest drop of the hat. Mm -hmm. Her dad freed his slaves. At 15, the family moves to Pennsylvania, Philadelphia. At that time, the second largest city in America. So, she is now, like, in the hub, other than New York, obviously. (laughs) While living there, Dolly would often visit New Jersey, where her other Quaker girlfriends lived. And she had two best friends, Eliza Collins and Dorothea Abrams. And they're friends for the rest of their lives. Girl crew. Girl crew. Girl crew. crew. (laughs) She would have most likely received some sort of formal education. But again, we have no idea about her past. We know she was wealthy, but also a Quaker. Some biographers say she would have had a better education than most women at her time, and other ones that I was reading said it was just a basic education. So I was getting two stories about her life the entire time I was reading. But she's growing into a young woman at this point, and she's very fair. She is a hotty, hot, hot young woman. <laughs> she's very beautiful. Um, and when they moved to philly her dad attempts to build a career as a starch manufacturer Hmm. um but it's not successful and this is seen by a weakness as the quakers and they kick him out doesn't seem very quakerish I feel like, like the, i feel like the southern quakers are not quite the new york no, quakers they
1: must not be because it's like wow you weren't a good businessman like yeah. we're kicking you out the there. new
0: york quakers were like sojourner truth come yeah. stay at my house i kind of
1: feel like this is similar to like there's Obviously, like a lot of different branches of like Christianity, but they seem like prosperity Quakers, like <laughs> yes. preaching the prosperity of like, if you're not rich, don't even bother liking God. <laughs> right,
0: right? Because he this doesn't is like crazy. you. Clearly. This is like the people who publish how much you tithe in the bulletin <laughs> oh every week. Gosh. Crazy. Atrocious. So her dad is just devastated by this mm-hmm. and dies like a year or two later. He like can't get up off his feet Ugh, after this. So, that's so sad. her mom to make ends meet opens a boarding house and she is supporting the family. Dolly's wow. mom, Dolly Payne. Um, but Dolly was going to be taken care of even before her dad's death. He had arranged a marriage to John Todd. John Todd is a lawyer and... Um, this you will find if you don't know a lot about the first ladies, many of the original first ladies were widows. Huh, because these men, the presidents, were so invested in their lives of the revolution and the war of 1812 and writing the constitution. They didn't have time to fuck around. Huh. You know what I mean? So yeah, like, and like they, court. they weren't getting married until their late 30s early 40s so they're marrying widows for the most part George Washington married a widow Madison TJ's wife died immediately like that is bizarre yeah. I never thought about that a lot of the first ladies like, were widows
1: because like obviously like getting married in like your 30s is not odd now but like back then it was probably like, old. what are you doing yeah it was old
0: considered old You're An old maid man right and like Abigail Adams is the opposite situation where she was like 14 when she met John and they like had a friendship up until she was like of legal age and then they immediately got married. Okay, Yeah. So I don't, so I think a lot of people don't realize most of the first ladies in the early years were married to someone else. Yeah. I didn't know that. So this John Todd marriage, again, I read two stories. One said it was arranged by her dad and she was manipulated into it after his death and one said it was a love match and they fell for each other and they were young and both sexy and had money he's a lawyer so they got married january 1790 at a quaker meeting house and dolly's friend eliza was her bridesmaid Uh, i can't believe we know who her bridesmaids were really it's adorable i want to see the dress yeah Um, So the couple moves into a high-quality neighborhood in Philly. Dolly and Todd have two sons, John Payne and William Temple. And her sister, Anne, moves in with them to care for the children. (laughs) Because, you know, Mm -hmm. Dolly Mm -hmm. doesn't want to care for her own children. Or pay someone to do it. Why? (laughs) Why would she ever get her hands dirty when she is such a Dolly? (laughs) Just three years after their marriage, though, the famous... Yellow fever epidemic breaks out in Philly, killing like 50% of the population. Philly, in four months, is torn to shreds. Mm. There's nobody left. Dolly's family was hit really hard. She lost her husband. Mm -hmm. She lost her oldest son. She lost her mother in law. She lost her father in law. She lost two of her brothers. And she herself got yellow fever before she recovered. She never really recovered, though, emotionally from the toll of losing everybody. And now she is a single mom with a baby, no in-laws, and no dad. Oh my gosh. She has She's no alone in one. this world. She's alone in the world. And to make it worse, her husband, the lawyer, Todd, Mr. Todd, left her his money. But his brother was the executor of the will, and he is withholding funds no. from Dolly what? and her baby. His nephew, her baby. And his widowed sister in law. Why? So she, being a brave woman, sues him. <gasps> she's a woman in this world. It's amazing for a woman to sue at this time. But she's moved in as a single woman with her baby to her mom's boarding house. And she sits in the parlor and chats up all the people at the parlor. And there's a lawyer who's staying there in this boarding house who was really impressed. By her wisdom and starts talking to her and it's like i'm gonna help you i'm gonna help you win this case you may have heard of him before from america fame aaron burr <gasps> is this lawyer oh my gosh <laughs> from you know from the americas yeah aaron burr is so taken by dolly he's like you're so good now he's married to theodosia or at least messing around with her at this point uh-huh. um But he's so taken by her and thinks she's so amazing Mm -hmm. that he's like, I'm going to help you win this case. He assists her and they become so close that he's the guardian of her only child in her will at that point in history. Bananas. I know. But then Aaron does one better. He's like, you know what? I like think there's this guy that you might kind of get along with. His name's James. Like, do you want me to do a formal introduction? And she's like, Yeah, of course. Like, whatever. Is is he like from Virginia? <laughs> I, you know, is he like a wealthy congressman
1: like, of good stock?
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, what is he like? And he's like, He's from Virginia. And she's like, Of course, it's for lovers. You know oh, what I mean? Like, my
1: gosh, matchmaker, matchmaker. Yeah, make, make her a match. Me a burr. <laughs>
0: Crazy. So, he introduces them, and Madison is, of course, immediately taken because she's 25 and hot. Right. And he's 43 and 5'2". The papers were describing him. This He's is not,
1: 43.
0: Yeah. And she and was... five 5'2". Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you don't grow no anymore. <laughs> um, but the newspapers, um, this 42. is not PC, but the newspapers always described him as a pygmy. What? What he, does that he mean? He was, like, a small oh. little man. Okay. He was, like, kind of of ill stock oh, um, okay. but they i mean they date have a long-standing relationship he was a bachelor because he was like i don't give a shit i'm just trying to build a country from scratch right like flour sugar cornstarch the whole deal um she's 17 <laughs> years yeah, younger you than from her him. dad <laughs> 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 she's 17 years younger than him um they have a brief courtship and in august they're engaged and she accepts a proposal she later says I I wasn't head over heels with him when we met but I didn't need to be. Like this yeah. this is what I needed to do to survive. He was wealthy, he was a congressman, he had a good job, he's from Virginia. <laughs> uh so she does say though that they fell in love of course before he passed. Like they ended up being equals oh, in their nice. brain and their knowledge. Um He was not a Quaker, so she was expelled from the Quaker Society for marrying outside of her faith. But then she began attending Episcopal services. Um there is no evidence that we have that Dolly disapproved of James being a slaveholder and actually she loved it. So she's like a slave goddess. It's very terrible. I
1: think that she was probably like, man. Yes. On the record, I'm going to say that I don't love this because of history, but also this is pretty dope.
0: (laughs) She really liked being waited on. Yes. And I think she wanted to be American royalty and she kind of becomes the first American royalty. Yeah. Um, I think she felt like she
1: deserved it. You know what I'm saying? I agree. I agree. I think she always wanted to be, again, I don't know very well so far i'm only halfway through the story yeah but it kind of feels to me like she always had this air of like no i'm special i'm unique i deserve better i deserve to be in the upper echelon of society and i deserve to be waited on
0: exactly like i don't know like that's the vibe i'm getting (laughs) absolutely so they get married september 15th 1794 and they live in philly for the next three years In 1797, after eight years in the House of Reps, James Madison retires from politics. They go to his house in Montpelier, which is in Virginia, the Madison family plantation. They expand it, and they settle in the house, and it's beautiful. But then, T.J., is elected as the third president. And he gives a little ring-a-ding to his friend, James, and he's like, hey, could you be the Secretary of State? Which is, like, mm. the third highest, most powerful oh, yeah. position in the country. Everybody wants that. Yeah. And he accepts the position and moved Dolly and her son to and her sister <laughs> to the house on F Street in Washington, D.C. They took a large, beautiful, like, row home style but Mm -hmm. like still single family home um where she began entertaining the new capital so the parties are called squeezes because there's so many people trying to fit into the f street house (laughs) like they can't even fit oh my gosh (laughs) no one was doing anything in dc like i said at the top Martha had lived in Philly because that Uh was the capital. Abigail called DC a swamp. She hated the White House. TJ is bachelor pad. Uh Uh-huh. White House. Womanless frat house. Dolly goes into the White House and sees how TJ is living with his bear cubs Uh roaming around (laughs) and he's not wearing his wig and he's like shirtless, sending Lewis and Clark on missions Mm -hmm. like a psycho. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she goes, hell no. Mm -hmm. Hell no, we're not going to live like this. So Dolly starts decorating. She She meets up with an architect, gets furniture for the White House, and she often served as Jefferson's hostess for all the ceremonies at the White House. She's like, you need a woman in here. Sorry, you're
1: doing it wrong. (laughs) Also, so hold on.
0: When was D.C. made the official
1: capital? Philly was the capital now. When Adams became president. Okay, and Adams was third? Second. Second.
0: Damn it. Yeah. What is wrong with me? So okay. Washington and Martha were the only ones that never lived in the White House. Okay. But during the Adams administration, him and Abigail moved into it when it was like halfway built, and it was like D.C. swamp. Yeah, I mean, the weather's like, terrible. We there's joke n- about it, but it is built on top of a swamp. Yeah, and there's like, like mud floors. Like the yeah. White House was not fully built. Oh my gosh. And then Thomas Jefferson moves in and just doesn't care for it at all. Right. And then Dolly shows up and is like, we got to do something right? about this. She's a take charge kind of woman. Right. So she is working the D- DC social circle. For Thomas Jefferson, she befriends the wives of all the diplomats from the foreign countries and smooths things over when T.J. commits super faux pas. Do you think she had a crush on him? Because I've heard
1: that he's the hottest founding father. He's a
0: hottie hottie, but I think she was playing the political long game. Ooh. I think she knew exactly what she wanted when she married James Madison. huh. Um, they never had children together. hmm And I think she just was an extrovert and wanted to be a hostess. And she wanted to be married to the most powerful man. Yeah. So she was literally paving the way for James to get into the White House. For the 1808 presidential election, TJ retires. The Democratic Republicans, of course, nominate James Madison because mm-hmm. they're like, we love Dolly. Let's get him in here. He's elected the fourth president of the United States. And during his two terms, Dolly becomes the official hostess.
1: I also love that like, she's a part of the reason why he got elected.
0: She's like exactly the reason <laughs> he got elected. People were like, he was sickly. He was, like, had bouts of pneumonia. He was not doing well. He was old. He had already done, like, eight terms in Congress. Like, he was not the appeal of having them in the White House. Right. Let's be clear. If women were allowed to have power, she would have been president. Right. They would have she just was, gone ahead and elected right. her. Right. She was so cool. So... Yes, I said the term First Lady isn't used, but the president's wife was an official hostess now because of Dolly. She helped define the unofficial functions like... Decorating the executive mansion, welcoming visitors. She was the first person to throw an inaugural ball. She was the first first lady to dedicate herself to public charities to let everybody know, while I'm in the White House, this is what we're going to do. She raised money to help fund Lewis and Clark. She raised money for a girls' orphanage. Um, She was just renowned for her social graces and her hospitality, and she... Um, really contributed to her husband's popularity so much so that she is to date the only first lady that had an honorary seat on the floor of Congress. No, she sat on Congress Are with you all of them me? and discussed. She sent the first telegraph in America. What? She um was a part of the political conversation. That's so cool. It's I very didn't cool. realize that she was
1: involved so much. Can I ask you another question? Yeah, Because I know you have a lot of experience in this sure. area. What – do they have anything of hers in the First Lady exhibit at the Smithsonian?
0: They do. They okay. have um, plateware and dresses, yeah. Oh, they do have mm-hmm. dresses of hers? Okay, yeah. that's really –
1: because I went there once, but I don't – it was so overwhelming. I don't remember –
0: Yeah, they have a lot of great stuff from, like, early on women, especially a lot of her clothing um, was velvet, and she lived so long. Right. um, That it was preserved because she was kind of—by the time she died, she was seen as a relic of American history. Yeah. So people were ready to preserve her shit. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, because she was so beautiful and they let her in Congress, rumors started floating— that uh, James was giving her out for sexual favors <gasps> to get votes on his side. Are you side. kidding me? Yeah. That's what they I said about that. her in the, in the news. That. And while that was not true, baby girl loved her snuff. Oh. Her and Henry Clay were like often like <laughs> snorting tobacco together. She probably had no nose cavity left. Oh, my gosh. But the photographs of her look like she's fine. So she lived well into her 80s. That I mean a lot of things put me off of
1: cocaine. <laughs> never tried it. But when I found out that your nasal cavities disintegrated. Sure. I was like, I never want to put anything up my nose, ever.
0: No thank you. No thanks. Not yeah. even a smarty. Sure. <laughs> never. So then James is elected for a second term. Okay. It's eighteen twelve. Uh, and immediately the English are like trying to retake over. Mm -hmm. Some people call the war of 1812, the second revolution. Um, because (laughs) English, (laughs) England is mad that they're losing the breakup because we had just bought the Louisiana purchase and now we're this huge, huge.
1: History. so England it, it'd be like if your ex started dating like George Clooney you'd be right. like
0: Are you what the fuck he's winning the breakup he's winning like, the breakup it's a mall Clooney's ex right now <laughs> but like after the US declares war which like Dolly begged James to do because he didn't want to they just like go and invade Canada let's I need you to understand in the war of 1812 not only was Britain attacking the US but we were attempting to take land from Canada. That's bananas. Crazy. I did not know Crazy. But the British forces are attacking D.C. They are coming to burn down the White House. Mm-hmm. And there's the question that floats around. Do you know where the president is? He's not here. He is not there. Dolly is in charge of the White House. And she has to prepare the staff to flee. Now, she essentially starts live tweeting by she's seeing the British coming in a telescope. Mm -hmm. And then she starts writing letters to her friends. I see the British coming. They're coming to burn down the White House. There's not even a copy
1: and paste. No,
0: she's like writing letters to all her friends about what's happening instead of (laughs) getting people out of the White House. And she is delegating her longtime personal enslaved man, Paul Jennings. And a couple other guys are the ones that get down the portrait of George Washington. They couldn't get it off the wall because it's like bolted in, so they have to break the glass and cut it out and roll it up and get it out of the White House. Um, She becomes just renowned for this because the image of Dolly Parton, Dolly Parton, Dolly Madison wrestling this portrait off the wall is a—it's legendary. It's a great image. It is a great image, but. We know it's not true because Paul Jennings, being her personal enslaved man for a very long time, was literate and wrote a memoir later in his life. Oh. So we have all of his information. So we've known this entire time. We have all oh, of his no. information about what happened. We know what happened. And um, like why couldn't she
1: have just said? And I were and I I I why? That's because also- she's an
0: influencer. She did, Uh, she, the thing is, she didn't do anything wrong. She is supposed to delegate. You are the person in charge of the White House. Do this, do this, do this, do that. Let's all get out. But that's not what she did. She did that and then told everybody it was her. Which is not the right way to delegate. If you said I was in charge and I told people what to do, that's just as noble. I organized
1: the retreat or the exit. Yes. Oh, that's. It's so annoying because it could have been avoided. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Whole fucking thing. Right. And like we would have still looked to her as a hero. Like she helped save save the portrait of George Washington. Right. But she did not rip it out of it. Can I ask you another question? Mm -hmm. Is this
0: portrait in somewhere? It is. It's not so... This portrait and a portrait exactly like it, there are two Mm -hmm. of them, like, painted twice. And it is, I think, in the National Gallery. Okay. Yes. So it is available. Okay.
1: I just want to know if this particular one that they ripped out is still here. It is in the National
0: Gallery, I believe. I will double check that fact. It might be the other one because there's two of them. There's two of them. And I think one of them might be at Mount Vernon. Okay. I would
1: imagine that the one that was ripped down is in the National Gallery. Right. Yeah.
0: Um, cause then there's also a whole bunch of pictures hung up in the walls of Congress and back in the white house. Ooh. Okay. So there's a lot of portraits of presidents that have been put back there. Okay. So I've seen a lot of famous portraits of George Washington. I don't know where this particular one is. Okay. So I'll find out and then post it. So then <laughs> as the story goes, the British are approaching. They know she's there. Mm-hmm. They know the president's not. She comes out with a saber <laughs> In front of the White House and goes, all right, I'm leaving already. I'm leaving. And they're not going to kill Dolly Madison. No. No. They're just like, just go. Just go. And she's like, I'm going. But she had to do it with a sword because, of course, she's Dolly Madison. So she crosses over the Potomac. When the couple returns to D.C., the White House is uninhabitable. So it is burned to a crisp. The White House we have now was rebuilt on the bones of this White House. We still have timbers. We have burnt pieces of it. We have the original layout. It's laid out pretty much the same, but it's burnt to a crisp. Now, they move into the Octagon House. I do want to say, of Fort McHenry fame, (laughs) this immediately after this is when the British storm Baltimore. And they write the um, Star Spangled Banner. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people attribute that to the revolution. And that at being from Baltimore, that's not true. And they said when they were leaving in the newspaper, let's go get that nest of pirates. Mm. Referring to Baltimore, which mm-hmm. I love. So thank mm-hmm. you. We are the nest of pirates. We are. Just I'm not part of Dolly's story, but I could have been. could have
1: been. We're close. We're, we're adjacent.
0: So close. So then... After this whole fight, they move into the Octagon House. Monroe's elected as the fifth president. And James retires and goes back to Montpelier in Virginia. Dolly has serious FOMO. She, like, is not happy. She's, like, writing letters. James is old and boring. He's, like, they're reading books. He's 20 years older than her practically. And her son, who never found a job and is struggling with alcoholism, is now in debtor's prison. And she's, like, selling all this shit in land that they own in Kentucky to try to get him out. Um, and they were the first couple to leave the White House with less money than they came in with. What? James then died oh, no. June 28th, 1836. Now, June 28th is important. Okay. Because both Adams and Jefferson died on July 4th. And when he was getting close to death, Madison, they said, do we want do you want us to put you in like a coma so that we can have you pass on July 4th? And he goes, that is a very bad precedent to set that presidents need to be killed on July 4th. So, no, please don't do that to me. So Jefferson and Adams died on July fourth, within like seconds of each other. Like, yeah, yeah, like. But this then is- they tried to pro- prolong his life two weeks. <laughs> so that he would die on a specific day. Right.
1: It's not like, hold on, just a few more hours and you can also die (laughs) on July 4th. No,
0: no, no. Just hold on, like, six, seven more days. Right, a bit. Hold on a bit. bit (sighs) So he was 85 and she was 68 and moves right back to D.C. And back in D.C., she is called the Grand Dame of the city. Like that. Her whole life, she thought she was going to be something, and she made something of herself. So she is dying of debt. So she organizes all of her husband's papers. Keeping in mind, he wrote Washington's first farewell speech, not his actual one. And he wrote the Bill of Rights, and he wrote all of the original, like, shit in Congress. She recopies her husband's papers and gets them ready to go. And Congress pays her $55,000 in like 1787 for these. So she has now made a shit ton of money off of her husband's papers. (laughs) She returns to D.C. and she puts her alcoholic son in charge of the plantation. And she and her sister Anna, now married, move into a house on Lafayette Square. Uh, Paul Jennings... (laughs) who she had been like, yeah, I'll let you free when I die. This is the enslaved man is now ripped away from his wife and children to come and live with her in D.C. instead of in Virginia. While Dolly's living in D.C., her son is obviously unable to handle the plantation, and she loses a whole bunch more money and is trying to sell more presidential papers. She's like, I have all these letters from Washington. I have this. I have that. Um, and it's just like they're like, Dolly, we can't personally fund you. Now, this is before there's a pension for um president's wives that does come in the future okay because it's like you also gave your life for this country like you gave right. up everything you do yeah. to live here so that it's comes in like the you future just get a casual
1: job after being <laughs> right married to the First president Lady. forever
0: um so then like her enslaved man paul jennings attempts to negotiate his freedom he's like i'll buy myself from you like let me do it but instead, she makes a deal to sell him to somebody else for more money, for $200 in 18... 18- oh. Yeah. Yeah. But six months later, another senator takes note that this is kind of happening, and he buys Paul from the guy that bought him and sets Paul free. Oh. That's- now, Paul tries to, like, pay him back by working for him, oh. which is weird. Yeah. I'm like, come on, Paul. But Paul also writes a memoir. So whatever. He's he's doing fine. Yeah. He's probably just
1: like so... Like I think he probably in was him. like so... Like, yeah. He's probably like so grateful. Like, mm. thank you. Like, let me... Because like, I know how that... If it's like, oh my yeah. gosh, like you did this and I said, let me do something for you. Let me help you out. And it's also like, buddy, you've been working for nothing your entire life.
0: <laughs> right. And it's not that Paul Jennings like hated dolly madison because she's struggling with absolute poverty mm-hmm. and then this um daniel webster who was the congressman who bought him would like send paul jennings to her with like baskets of food oh. and like he would like her former enslaved man would give her like money out of his own pocket oh my like to just like gosh. make sure she was okay and there should have been a system in place to take care of president's wives when their husbands die Um, so then they agreed to buy more uh, papers from her for $25,000. She does get, like I said, photographed on two separate occasions. One on July 4th, 1848 with a lot of her family and one in 1849 featuring President James K. Polk, his wife, Sarah, future president, James Buchanan, and his first lady, Harriet Land. And, um, This is because even though she was living in poverty, people loved her. She was a relic of D.C. I mean, she is wandering around the city in the dresses that she used to wear to parties at the White House because she didn't have more clothes. So she is just walking the streets of D.C. in these tattered ball gowns. This
1: also, like, I keep thinking back to the fact that like she is an early influencer, and like I feel like. I've seen this happen in real time, where like suddenly, like someone runs out of ideas, their videos are less popular, and then it's like this thing that like they quit their real life job for is falling apart, and it's like, what
0: do I do? What do you even do? Like I, it's upsetting.
1: I don't know. I that's one of those things. Like when people are like, I want to be an influencer. Like, do you want the stress? (laughs) Do really? Do you really doing that every day and like having your whole life be bet upon the fact that like people on the Internet
0: think you're funny because that will and turn interesting on a dime. it will turn. Oh, but I mean uh, people even though she was in poverty like people in DC like she was still good at chatting people up like she was still invited to all the prominent parties and I, I don't think it was a joke. I don't think they were doing it out of charity. I think people genuinely liked Dolly Madison. She did die at her home in Washington, D.C. in 1849 at the age of 81. She was buried first in the Congressional Cemetery, but uh, later re at Montpelier next to her husband, James Madison. She was buried in an airtight metallic burial case with a glass window plate for viewing the face of the deceased Okay. <laughs> because Dolly um, she has a World War II Liberty ship named after her the SS Dolly Madison during her life she had brands named after her there was a famous ice cream brand and a famous cigar named the Dolly right. Madison <laughs> she was a member of the inaugural class of Virginia women in history in 2000 <laughs> Thank you. Right near the end. <clears throat> There's a Dolly Madison Boulevard in D.C., and um, Siena College Research Institute has periodically conducted a survey of historians to assess the American First Ladies according to a cumulative score on independent criteria. They judge based on value to the country, intelligence, courage, um, accomplishments, integrity, leadership, being their own woman public image and value to the president consistently dolly has ranked over a span of two decades between six and four so she's always in the top always in the top six and her and her husband are always ranked in the top five highest power couples in terms of presidents that's very cool but dolly to be clear mainly because of her like (laughs) yeah she's a power couple i mean the stuff he did before they were married was very important but he wouldn't have become president without her um dolly madison's legacy is not over though other than abe lincoln she is the most seen ghost in washington (gasps) dc she haunts the city the white house is widely known for being one of the mid-atlantic's most haunted buildings dolly is known to be the first lady who planted the rose garden and when Woodrow Wilson's wife, Edith, asked two employees to transfer the garden to another location. An angry ghost of Dolly appeared to them, and to this day, nobody will touch where the Rose Garden is. Also, Dolly's favorite flower and her perfume was lilac, and because of the War of 1812, they had to live in the Octagon House. On many occasions, employees will walk through the Octagon house and randomly smell lavender and know that Dolly is there. And most importantly, the last house she lived in with her sister in Lafayette Square has a rocker on the front porch. It hasn't been moved, and is her favorite chair. And if you go out some nights, you can still see Dolly rocking on the chair. And people report seeing her all over Washington, D.C., I would love, I would love to see Dolly. <laughs> she took the first lady position and made it what it is today. That Amazing. is Dolly Dolly Madison still haunting our, our country's capital.
1: Can I tell you, <laughs> I am such a skeptic. I would love nothing more than to see a ghost. Mm-hmm. I really want to see a ghost. I want to see Dolly Madison. <laughs> but I'm so skeptical. I don't know if I have the, I don't know if I, if I, if I have the right stuff. To to see see a ghost. That's my problem. (laughs) I'm not
0: open to it. I was talking to producer yesterday morning during breakfast. We get up super early so we can have breakfast together in Mm the morning. And I said this exact thing. Other than Abe Lincoln, Dolly Madison's ghost is seen more than anyone else in Washington DC. Mm -hmm. And he goes, You said that like it was fact. (laughs) Whoa. But it it is a fact. It is a fact. There are numbers. (laughs) There are numbers and people what claim else to do this you what from a fact. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. Okay. okay. <laughs> well,
1: we need to talk about these two women together in a little segment. Ooh, we like to call Just, Just the Two of Us.
0: Okay. This is so interesting. I
1: I mean <laughs> Curated Ladies of Privilege. Sure. I feel (laughs) like (laughs) they were very intent upon how they were viewed in the world. Sure. But only how it benefited them in the time. Because obviously, like, when Patty was in the SLA, it was like, I want everyone to see me as a radical and nothing else. But then when she was out, she was like, I want everyone to see me as a brainwashed victim and nothing else. Absolutely. And I feel like Dolly was the same way. She was like, I am a classic Virginia debutante, and no one can tell me that I was born in North Carolina.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I I like the idea too that these women had their own like um addictions. I love, yeah. I love that um Patty was like, I'm chain-smoking, mm-hmm. I'm 87 pounds, like a psycho, I'm like, yeah. absolutely everything's going wrong, and I love that do- Dolly's like, I'm in the right place, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna s- snuff with Henry Clay. Yep. Like, they both like to get a little wild,
1: and I think that that's where Patty really got into trouble with the SLA, because I think that for the first time, she's like, ooh, I am feeling fancy free like uh-huh. i am not uh patty hurst heiress you know art major art history major i am something really radical and different because i think both of them liked to be different and unique sure and i think for patty it got her into a lot of bad situations and for dolly it obviously led to her being a legend and like Really doing something good with her uniqueness.
0: Yeah, but also like one of the crazy things about them is they are so adjacent to what the government is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. When you have James Madison, you have a man who helped write the constitution, who is like in the midst of the Revolutionary War. He literally on his own wrote the Bill of Rights that has Mm -hmm. like that's what gave her the right to plead the fifth. James Madison wrote those words
1: wild to think about
0: he wrote those words and like she she got to plead the fifth because of james madison and she right. never would have been president without dolly our dog's here she's loud
1: you are very loud i, know, <laughs> but I can't pet you because you're then you'll be stay forever go away we um, love you go away well and i think that that's another important point is like they're so close to like so many big things that like you know, like, Dolly Madison was obviously very close to, like, something that was really important and really big. Right. You know? And I feel like Patty was so close to that. And they were both voices of that kind of thing. Like, the SLA, they had a good idea. Obviously, a lot of the groups in the 70s did. But, like, obviously, it's like when need to have bombs in the situation. Your execution's like, wrong. Your execution is wrong. And... I just feel like they both ended up being kind of like the voice of the organization. Like, everybody was listening to what the SLA was saying because Patty was speaking. Mm -hmm. She is putting her voice on tape and sending out the messages that they are trying to get out there. And I also feel like Dolly is doing the same thing. She's setting the precedent for, like, this is how the first lady should be she should be welcoming she should be this she should be that she should be a representation of the best of america and i think patty maybe thought she was being a representation of the best in america by being really really radical
0: (laughs) yeah but in the same note it's like yes your ideas are great execution wrong yeah dolly your ideas are great slavery bad There are things that, like, you can do it one way Mm -hmm. and still not be doing it right. It doesn't excuse you. I don't care when you live. I don't care whether or not you were brainwashed. Like, yes, we'll take those things into account, but it doesn't fully excuse you because there were people telling you it was wrong in both Mm -hmm. instances.
1: I think that that is such a good point because we want to just be like, well, no one knew slavery was wrong in the Revolutionary War times. And it's like, that's not true. There were several people who Many knew it was wrong. Many people said it was wrong. Uh, the and, like, second president didn't listen to right. them. Terrible. And it's the same thing with Patty. Like, I think that is such a great point that you're making of like the things that you're doing. You're harming people. You're stealing things. You are... Involved in a group that is murdering people. Like people that don't deserve like I like again, not that you have the right to take anyone's life, but like at that point you're like
0: you're mirroring capitalism. Yeah. Which is if you're against it, then you shouldn't be using your ideals to put pressure upon people who are not doing anything wrong. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I totally agree. And I also feel like they kind of ended up defining these things that are now staples of our society it's like patty hearst is the symbol of stockholm syndrome sure which is you know talked about so much and i feel like dolly was the picture of the first lady and the picture of like again like what strong women next to their men in government are supposed to be yeah and i think that's really interesting because These are things that are very long-lasting and maybe we don't initially contribute them to them, you know? When we think Stockholm Syndrome now, I think we typically think of, like, Beauty and the Beast. Mm -hmm. But, like, really, Patty Hearst's case was the thing that brought it into the national attention. And when we think of First Lady, we think of more recent ones. But Dolly Madison is the person that really defined the role. Sure. And I love that, again, like, these women just defined these very, very like long-lasting
0: things. It's amazing. Um, I'm like super proud of them. Yeah,
1: but one ended in poverty, and one is still wealthy. And I don't think you could guess which one was which by just <laughs> <laughs> listening to their story. reading like a simple bio of them. You'd be like, yeah, the one that did all the robbery and was involved in the pipe bombs. <laughs> she's not rich anymore and you're like
0: well actually uh- <laughs> well and i think this is why we tell the story of nuanced women mm-hmm. like we want to be- we want to believe that dolly wrestled the portrait off the wall yeah we want to see her doing that but she didn't have to do that to be a great woman yeah. but she thought she did and mm. that's what makes it hard yeah and we want to believe that
1: Patty was not in her right mind. And, like, I don't think that she was 100% in her right mind. No, but she was making like, choices. But she was making choices. And, like, but we want to believe that it was a total, like, hypnosis situation. Because mm. it's easier that way. Yeah. It's easier to justify. It's easier to understand. But that's the whole thing. There's so much gray area in our lives and in our great women. hmm Absolutely. Mm.
0: Are you ready to toast season 15 to a close with two crazy stories?
1: (laughs) Who would you like to toast this evening?
0: I want to toast a woman who is willing to self-sacrifice to get what she needs to survive. Mm -hmm. I don't think Dolly loved James. I don't necessarily think she loved her first husband, Mm -hmm. Mr. Todd. I think she was doing what she needed to to get by, and I think a lot of women do that, especially Mm -hmm. single moms, especially widows. You will marry up into a loveless marriage, perhaps, which Mm -hmm. she says that her and James eventually fell in love, but they were very different people. I think they fell in respect. Yes, they fell in respect, (laughs) that's for sure. Yeah, they had had an integrity bond, not a love bond, and Mm -hmm. I... I just want to cheers the women throughout history who have had to do that to just survive. Yeah. That's hard. Agreed. Cheers. Cheers.
1: This is a complicated one for me. But I'm going to toast women who own their shit. I feel like I would be able to understand Patty a little bit more if she was like, you know what, I was 19, I got swept up into this organization like I definitely was not totally my right mind, but like I did like I got so into their beliefs that like what they were saying was like really making sense to me. I wish she would take a little bit of responsibility and it sure. kind of that's the thing. I'm not even asking for like a ton, but I'm asking for a little bit. Like I'm asking for her to be like you know what, like it was shitty. And I regret it, but, like, it did happen. Mm. I don't know. So I am going to toast the women who, like, are just like, yeah, here are all the parts of me.
2: Mm. That's hard to do. It <laughs> is. Cheers. Cheers.
0: All right. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So I've promoted this before. I'm promoing again. The podcast Flotus Forever mm. is mm-hmm. so good. So good. They're so funny. They're from New York. They're great. They're chronologically covering the First Ladies. And they have a very similar banter to Katie and I, a very similar relationship. And it is just, it's great to hear it in chronological Mm -hmm. order. Because Mm -hmm. we cover First Ladies, but we don't cover them all, and we don't cover them in order. Yeah. So this is, like, a great, it's a great chance. And they do, like, one-hour episodes. Mm -hmm. And if the First Lady's too long, they split it in half. Oh, perfect. So it is so funny and beautiful and Mm -hmm. i just i truly encourage it if you want to know more about american history perfect what do you got i am going to be on theme
1: this week and recommend the movie cry baby yay um it's john waters film it's one of his most famous it obviously stars a very young johnny depp um also my personal friend robert marbury is in it um (laughs) He's just like a guy that gives like a really cute look to a uh, Ricky Lake. When <laughs> Ricky, uh, I just, I it is a really fun campy movie. It's everything that like John Waters is. It's bananas, and um, Patty Hearst is the mother of like the blonde girl with like the real big fucking attitude. And yeah. <laughs> And I just love it. I think it it is a really fun movie. And Union has a beer called The Cry I think it's Union has a beer called The Cry Cry Baby.
0: Baby. And it's really good.
1: So yeah, just the movie and the beer and So many
0: Baltimore shout outs tonight. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Also a real episode about Baltimore. (laughs) It was
1: really wild is like Emily Hill who was Oh, I just, we have a listener named Emily Hill. Yeah,
0: our our Philadelphia friends. Yes, yeah.
1: um, but no, this is the one in the story. <laughs> um, she was born in Baltimore. She, she was, was raised somewhere else, like moved very early, but I was like, I don't want her to have any association with this because she's the one that I think killed the mother.
0: No, I don't like <laughs> that at all. So don't but we're that. good we at murder here. Her.
1: But yeah, so that's what we're getting. Well, thank you guys so much. We're going to do a fun in-between season episode all about Gilmore Girls. So can't stay wait tuned for
0: that. Next week is going to be so fun. Just bonus <sighs> episode. All the girls of Gilmore Girls. We're going to be hanging out,
1: chilling, chatting, talking about, of course, probably mostly Paris. Yeah. Um. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. Allie Incarnate. <laughs> Love her. No, I wish I was her.
1: So. If you want to hang out with us, you can join us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. You can hang out with us, buy us a drink, and get to know the other wonderful people that are in this community. You can rate and review us. And just, yeah, have a good time. Uh, (laughs) We'll see you next season. And in the meantime, never forget that well-behaved women
0: don't have bumblebee coupe glasses. No, they
1: don't. And they rarely make history. Goodbye. Goodbye.